2: To the Bruce Exclusive. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking a lot, exclusively, you might think. We've been talking a lot about football myths, about things that I was just up to my eyeballs in, that I'm pulling my hair out and saying, I don't think these things are true. I've been coming at you with some strong opinions. And to be honest, I'm kind of tired. So I brought in backup today. I brought in someone else who has a strong opinion on something that they think is a football myth. And I thought, okay, now who do I know who has strong opinions? And I, you know, thought of, you know, my wife, my dogs, you know. And then, okay, wait, okay, hold on. Bills related. Bills related would be better. And so I called up my man Greg Tomset, from Cover One. Greg. Thanks so much for being here, man.
1: Yeah, appreciate it, man. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun. I love where the Bruce Exclusive is going, and I can't lie. I'm a little jealous of the opening. I I love the uh you know big top uh, approach to the open. I'm I'm a big fan.
2: Well, you know, I I it was one of those things where I was trying to figure out how to script that out because I'm not really a super high energy guy. A lot of people might not know that about me. I'm not, I'm not a super high energy dude. You've met me in real life one time. I'm not an overly high energy guy. <laughs> And it, I needed something that would start me off on the right note, so I decided to go with that. It's actually a, a kind of an odd to uh, kind of an uh, an ode, an ode. An, I, I combined ode and nod there, and I came up with odd. But it's <laughs> it's it. a nod to the New Age Outlaws and the Road Dog Jesse James, and back the WWF was the WWF, and so I decided I had to do that to kind of start it off on a on a high note. But Greg. I brought you on here because you had a strong opinion about a football myth, something that kind of eats at you that you find prevalent enough to be bothered by. And before we get into what specifically the myth is, we're going to rewind and I'm going to outline we're going to define myth. So I had defined it previously on this podcast as being a something that is prevalent enough to be notable in the public eye Or in the league itself, league regarding football. The second thing was something that I could verify and prove to the best of my ability was not true. So before we get into it, do you have the same or a different definition of myth? No, I think that's really strong. I think that, that
1: speaks to uh, a sound definition of it. And I think that it's it's really been good in the series you've done to take some of the most commonly held ones. And I, I think that it's it's really healthy to reevaluate those. You know, we you and I get thrown at all the time, all the football jargon that's out there. So I like this, and I think that definition's a solid way to approach this kind of discussion.
2: Okay, so without further ado... Greg, I will allow you to unveil your myth that you were going to be attempting to tackle and debunk on today's conversation. All right, so
1: I'm going to take a slight step back to frame it a little bit because the the issue was not the topic. I felt very strongly about the topic and I I feel inundated by it all the time. But I I had a hard time labeling it. I had a hard time boiling it down to a statement. And, And so many that you've had so far are, just the constant accepted truisms around us. And and some of those, those ones that are really funny that everyone immediately clicks with. And I think everyone will appreciate the topic, but I struggled to, to get it into the right framing. And it really came down to, I, I decided to frame it as all good fantasy players are good football players. And that was the simplest way for me to describe what I seem to have around me all the time in the common fan Twitter interaction person and their perception of players that it it confuses me the way that they're spoken about, the regard that they're held in and how people approach them. And I'm very thankful for the growth of fantasy football. I personally am one who plays it. I, I believe you've stated before that, that you're usually not a, a fantasy player. I don't know if you've never have, but aren't, aren't as commonly. I enjoy it quite a bit, but I'm able to differentiate it. And I actually try to leverage where some of these gaps that I'll talk about come from. But I see some people that talk about players in the same regard as others that I just don't think are on level playing field. And I I'm seeing it more and more as more and more fantasy grows, especially daily fantasy and some of the pieces there it's huge for the future of the league and now players are even acknowledging it and talking about it. And I'm worried it's going to evolve into even more of what I think is maybe diverting from
2: genuine value on the field. Okay. So right away, we have a problem because I was in your fantasy football league last year, Greg, do you not remember me? I was, I made such a positive impact on you through my value added to the fantasy league that you don't even remember that I was in the league with you. (laughs) I do know. I do know. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought I remembered you speaking to it on one of the shows that it wasn't yeah n- 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 not a fantasy it, it, guy it is, per se. Yeah, it's not. It's not a big part of what I do. It's not a. It's not a big part of our discussions here. I, as a general rule, I'm in one or two every year. It's it's something that I don't I don't take super seriously. I'm never I never do it for money by any means. Never for any sort of significant money. That's a that's that's basically gambling at this point. And I'm not, I'm not, as you probably know, I'm not much of a gambler, but okay. So good fantasy players are not good football players necessarily. So where, where did this come from? Did we just, did we just get so obsessed with passing yards and raw numbers, the stuff that equivalates to, fantasy football points and we just lost sight of the other important things? Is that where this came from? I I think so. And it really made me evaluate it
1: because I, when, when I brought this up, it really forced me to step back and be like, Hey, am I just being a curmudgeon and it's one or two little exceptions, or do I think this is actually becoming a challenge? So I started to look at, and, and I think the real, the real, uh, there are two points that I believe are where. The genuine value in football and the fantasy value diverge most directly, and it's in game script and in scheme specific players. Those two areas are really where the biggest challenge comes in that. Our portions of football that still exist, you're going to, every game's going to finish all 60 minutes regardless of what the score is at halftime. Every team is going to approach things differently and have different paths that they believe is putting them in the best position to play, and that certain players are going to benefit from those things, right, wrong, or indifferent. Those are always going to happen. But I think that because of what you talked about, the prevalence of passing in today's game, the schemes that are there as we see more air raid more spread more uh, heck the pace of play makes a significant impact now when people that maybe especially local fans that you don't see the rest of games you watch your local team a lot of fans your only real interaction with many of the other 31 teams in the league is what their fantasy results were at the end of the day and how they accumulated those doesn't really matter in fantasy if somebody you know has an I'll get to garbage time in, in a moment here but if they have a bunch of that it doesn't really matter if it was in the fourth quarter while down 21 points you still got the points and you so they carried you to victory and you're pleased with that and I think that there's a growing sense of that where the boiled down statistics and result of that game instead of being a piece of the puzzle becomes the entire puzzle and becomes that's the representation of their
2: value. Is this myth contributing to people having a hard time letting go of the fact that running backs are really important because they're so important in fantasy and they're so interchangeable on the field? Is this myth contributing to that? Is that why people have a hard time letting go of running backs?
1: I think so. I I think that it's, it becomes a significant portion of it. And, you know, there's some where that scheme specific, we've seen it for years. If you happen to be a running back and you're tied to anyone with the last name Shanahan, you're going to do pretty darn well, whether you're Olandis Gary and Mike Anderson and, you know, Tatum Bell, or you're more recently you know, Steve Slayton or your Raheem Mostert and you now get put into that position where all of a sudden it doesn't really matter who you put in that spot, they're going to produce and that carryover, I think that's one of the easier ones where it actually was so obvious it didn't bleed over into the value. So many people simply knew about the Shanahan rushing machine that it actually Overrode what would have been some of the other examples I'll have where it actually bled into the actual value of the player. And in those, it was just the most blatantly obvious example of Scheme being the driving force of the value and what they could produce because they could literally plug anyone in there year after year and they'd put out, you know, fantastic seasons statistically.
2: Now, you mentioned that. This is something that you're concerned about getting bigger and kind of becoming more of a problem moving forward. Are you of the opinion that this is becoming more and more and more prevalent, this myth? Or is it staying, is it staying pretty much plateaued? Has it been decreasing over time? Is this becoming more of an issue? And you and I are just fighting the good fight on the front lines right now, fighting a battle against this myth? Or is this one of those things that was dying out anyway?
1: So I think it's only growing because I think from everything that I've read and researched, fantasy participation is only growing, and there's there's a double-edged sword here because I think that good fantasy play involves information and an analysis of statistical information and probability and the you know projection of what is most likely to happen. And heck, you're seeing some of that actually. In some people's opinion, maybe ruin the daily fantasy aspect of it because you're having the the quants of the world dive in there with five hundred different lineups with every possible you know combination that they see as the highest probability, and one of them ends up winning for the big money um versus more of the fun hobby element of it. so I think that part of it there's it's not all negative going that direction, but I think because fantasy's growth has been so dramatic over for sure the last 10 years that I think it's becoming a lot of people's interpretation of football. That's just how they see it. There's actually quite a few people who are maybe a bigger fan of their fantasy team than a particular local team to them. And then that's where they have their investment in time. So I actually think this is only going to continue to increase. Maybe it'll plateau at some point here, but I don't think we've seen that plateau just yet.
2: So here's a question about the fantasy football, specifically the information gathering. There are specific outlets, media outlets, that that specialize in fantasy football advice. You know, obviously one of the ones that comes immediately to mind, Evan Silva from Roto World, right? He started as a fantasy football sort of website, talking about availabilities and target shares and things like that. And there's this strange juxtaposition where on one hand – the myth exists, and I agree with you that this myth exists. So in case that was a question, I agree with you that this myth <laughs> exists. But on the other hand, when someone like that comes along and starts to say something, it feels like sometimes they're kind of talked down as just a fantasy football media outlet. How do, can those two things coexist at the same time? How can we, on one hand, have an issue in ourselves equating fantasy value and on-field value? And then simultaneously dismiss the opinions of l- well, you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes lesser football analysis because it's just a fantasy thing. I, how do how can we justify that as a as a fan base? So I'm
1: going to draw a parallel that you actually let into perfectly is that it's part of the reason I struggled of what to even call this myth because it's not that every good. Fa- good fantasy player is not a good football player, of course they are there's a reason that Christian McCaffrey had a good season last year that Patrick Mahomes is a great fantasy quarterback, and that Julio Jones is a good receiver. They're really good football players, and really good football players are going to produce and good production equals good fantasy play so i, I think it's very interesting in my uh, experience fantasy writers, fantasy analysts, the good ones so you know the people who are have gained popularity are simply really informed football people that they know the game of football and that they may view it from a production dominant area and that that's their main focus, but you have to understand football pretty well to be successful in that arena. So most of them are simply informed football minds that just focus on that projection and statistical analysis area, but it's how they gain popularity because they know football really well. I think that there's a correlation to that, that the vast majority of good players are also good fantasy assets. It's the other piece of it that it bleeds over that people, when they get their team carried to a fantasy playoff performance and a certain player was on their team, they convince themselves that, oh, that must mean that guy's really good at football. And it's happening more and more uh, with certain players that I think really stand out.
2: Okay. So we have effectively set the stage for why this myth exists, why it's kind of prevalent, where we think it's going. Why is it necessary for us to fight against it? We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to lay down. Not we, I'm not going to do all of it. Greg's going to do all of it. He's going to lay down the examples that was supported being a myth. And we're going to hammer this bad boy home.
0: Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate At $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce exclusive. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. And I'm here with Greg Tomset, cover one podcast, Buffalo. They record on Sunday nights and also do a video at that point. So if you haven't already, make sure you are checking it out. And Greg is here giving his opinion on why it is that there is a myth that is circulating its way through football fan base. And that myth being, Greg, I'll let you say it, All
1: good fantasy players are good
2: football players. Okay, so we're fighting against that. Before the break, we talked about why this myth happens, why it's necessary to even combat it, and some of the things that are kind of embedded in the culture that would lead us down this road. Greg is going to, we set it up, Greg's going to knock it down now. We've got some examples supporting it being a myth, and I am going to step back and allow you to present your case, Counselor.
1: All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Um, we, I'm going to start with uh, a few historical references that people will be able to touch on depending on how long you've been involved in this. I, I went down the path of the the famous Shanahan running backs, and those ones are a little bit easier um, because I think people saw that as a machine with an interchangeable part. But there's many others, and I, I know as I was preparing for the show, Bruce actually gave an example of one that very clearly would, would fit into this, and the famous Blake Bortles 2015 season and that so much of that was based on the garbage time that came up of being down in a game and then catching up and you know that season ended up a crazy you know 37 percent of his production and 20 percent of his touchdowns were when the game was completely out of reach and there was no real value in what they were contributing of losing by 10 instead of losing by 28 and it really built that up, and some fans might be like, "Well, come on, nobody really thought he was good." Well, let me present the 2016 Athlon Sports Jacksonville Jaguars season preview, and in one particular phrasing here, as they go through about how the defense needs to step up to keep up with the obviously growing talent of the offense, the Jaguars know what they've go, what they're going to get from Bortles, Robinson, and Hearns, arguably the league's top young pass catching trio. So. It was something where I assumed everybody knew that was garbage time stats. I assumed everyone knew that there was no real value there and it was obviously a a bubble about to deflate. But I found multiple references of going into the next season where they felt like they had the next guy who was really ready to step up. You saw similar things with Mitch Trubisky coming into his third season after a fairly solid second season that had, you know, some, some smoke and mirrors to the production. Um, a few more local examples. If you go back to the 2018 season, um, Zay Jones ended up putting together a halfway decent season and leading the Bills in just about every statistical category. Well, in hindsight, it was a rough season, but 47.58% of his production total, and that being measured in fantasy points, came in the fourth quarter and came in multiple uh, games. Almost every single one of his double-digit fantasy games, his highest production games, came in losses with most of that coming in garbage time. There's multiple other examples like that that lead down a path where, you end up building up the value of a player and then it bleeds into the common understanding that that player must be really good that player and it happens in contracts they get signed by other teams after fairly obvious understandings and there's some that are just simply one hit wonders that, you know, Scott Mitchell had the chance to step in for the, the lions and, and played. And then the dolphins paid him an awful lot of money thinking he was there. Sorry, the other way around that he stepped in for Dan Marino with the dolphins and the lions ended up paying him an awful lot of money to be that guy. And some of those are just hit or miss things. Or you have the, the Peyton Hillises of the world that had one shot to be able to step in and do those things. And people want to buy into that because the production seemed real, but, In the local sense, I've started to see it flip where fantasy values season-long production, fantasy values the accumulation of raw statistics regardless of the value of those or the need for them within the game. The two most polar opposite examples in last year's NFL were quarterbacks Kyler Murray and Ryan Tannehill. Now, I want to preface this by saying I am not a Kyler Murray hater by any degree. I see the potential that other people see. I think there's a great deal of that potential that could be realized this year and moving forward, that he could end up being a really good quarterback. My challenge is I see people talk about it as though he's already an amazing quarterback and is already incredible, and I was trying to figure out why. Well, by most scoring metrics, he was the eighth best quarterback in all of fantasy last year. Now, that happened because they had a fair amount of shootout games with poor defenses, a fair amount of garbage time, and things that were out there that allowed him to accumulate some ugly games that ended up looking good in the end and probably dismissed some of the 17 turnovers that he had and some of the other issues that I think he contributed to the reason that they weren't as successful as much as he contributed to them being a successful team. And for a moment here, I'm going to introduce a new character. This is a hypocrite, Greg, um, hypocrite, hypocrite, <laughs> Welcome, Greg. hypocrite, Greg, <laughs> yeah. hypocrite. Greg is the guy who likes to make fun of PFF grades and explain why they're directionally accurate, but not as precise as they like to uh, tout them as, but also will just straight face use them when they support his, uh, his, his own takes. So if you look at the PFF grade for last year, Kyler Murray was the 29th quarterback out of 37. Now, I don't know if it's quite that low, but that's more of what I saw when I watched him play. A young player with a lot of potential who made some good plays, but also had some pretty poor decisions and tried to scramble his way into an awful lot of sacks and took some negative plays and fumbles and interceptions that were avoidable. But you saw the upside that obviously showed the potential that people are excited about, but it's not all there yet. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill had by just about every advanced metric. If you, you know, I know both of us are, are big fans of net air yards per attempt and some pieces like that. He led the NFL in almost every efficiency category. He led uh, many PFF metrics and ended up being the third rated passer overall for the season. But in fantasy, he was the 22nd ranked quarterback. And you hear people dismiss that, oh, he was just, you know, kind of a caretaker for that offense. And I think in a recent show, you is illustrated really well that it's very likely Derrick Henry owed more of his success to Ryan Tannehill than Ryan Tannehill owing success to Derrick Henry. But you don't hear him spoken about that way. You don't hear anyone talking about his career renaissance and coming into this season as a you know potential leading quarterback off one of the most efficient seasons in modern history but you hear everyone talking about Kyler Murray being a potential MVP candidate and being the breakout star coming into this year and I would make the case that Ryan Tannehill had a superior football season to Kyler Murray last year even if Kyler Murray was a much more valuable fantasy
2: asset. Do you think fantasy football is just in general impacting and hindering our ability as fans to judge quarterbacks progress?
1: It certainly is a larger factor than I would like it to be. And when I, you know, my, my mentions every Sunday that Josh Allen continued to not throw for 300 yards as some arbitrary threshold Mm -hmm. that that somehow mattered. Um, Yeah. Somebody
2: missed that 300-yard bonus, Greg, and they're really upset.
1: (laughs) You know, it's it's inevitable that they put out – and I don't want to dismiss it because also – You know, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers put up great fantasy points, too, along with leading to great production. So I don't want to dismiss it that it never matters. But I also found an article from an awful lot of Dallas Star um, or the Star Telegram uh, writers talking about how much of the Cowboys production last year and the, you know, the most productive offense in the entire NFL was an awful lot of garbage stats, and that how much a percentage of that came in Dak Prescott throwing a bunch of garbage bombs to Michael Gallup when defenses were playing prevent defense and made those stats look good. And that hey, you are going to pay him like he's some five thousand yard passer who's just going to do that forever. And that there might be some hollow fool's gold to the numbers that came up here last year. And I, I don't, I don't know that I've spent enough time watching Dak in in significant detail to to say that I agree with that but I read that from people who watched every single snap of every single game that felt that way and I just think it's interesting that I think many more fantasy centric fans especially say Buffalo fans who may probably watch Dak Prescott play one or two games last year the one that we played and a handful of other ones that were on primetime tv I think probably have a pretty high opinion of him and they, Oh, they're talking about he might get $40 million and that that must mean he's really good. And I think that some of that is driven by just the raw statistics of his production.
2: So you mentioned PFF grades. And one of the reasons that I've discussed in the past that PFF grades even exist to begin with is because people want a shorthand. The consumer wants a shorthand on how did this guy play? And they would want to use something other than fantasy stats to do it. So if, You're now in charge of the universe. Okay, Greg, congratulations. Uh, High King Greg is now in charge of the universe. And you now are allowed to tell us what it is exactly we should be looking for that will help us kind of make the distinction. So we know someone's a good fantasy player. Great. Now I have those raw statistics. Now I want to find out if they're a good real player. Where can I go to do that? What can I look at to do that? Is it really just a film thing? Because one of the things I found is that film fades. It's the alliterative. I really like the alliterative part of that. But film fades and fantasy follows. So that's a that's a, that's yeah. a Bruce-ism I'm just going to drop right here. And what I mean by that is the longer it has been since you've seen the film on the player – the more likely you are to lean toward the fantasy nonsense, which I think is kind of supporting your Kyler Murray argument. I don't think that that necessarily would have been the case. This narrative would have been the case immediately after the season. But now as the season gets farther and farther and farther in our rear view mirror, our views start to become distorted. It's a little bit like when you go to see a movie and you walk out of the movie and you think, oh man, that that that, that was, it was okay. I guess it was all right. And then- If someone asks you what you thought of that movie a week later, you're like, man, it sucked because all the good things that you thought were redeeming about that movie have faded from your memory. The film has started to fade and the fantasy stats have followed. So if that's the case, aside from just go back and look at the film, if I have, let's say a quarterback, okay, let's say I have Kyler Murray and he's a quarterback and I have these raw statistics and the farther I get removed from the season, The more I start to slip into this, I think Kyler Murray's really good. I mean, look at these stats and I need to find a way to level myself and high king of the universe. Greg will direct me and tell me where to go to save myself. Where would I start? So I think I've actually struggled with this a lot and I thought that, you know, you've
1: actually spoken on this very well about the range of statistics, how much human interaction are in each of them and that you're spot on of the reason PFF exists. And heck, the reason that PFF spends so much time marketing their grades is because they're easy for fans to see. Everybody understands a hundred point scale. Everybody understands red, yellow, green. Everybody understands that kind of grading statistic. And if you can tell yourself that the person evaluating this must be objective and intelligent and knowledgeable, then these are really, really good. And I've, I've gone into a fair amount of detail showing that they're directionally accurate when they say somebody had an 88 game that yes they probably had a pretty good game and if they say somebody had a 42 they probably played pretty rough but i have a little bit of trouble when they say the left guard had a 72.6 and the right guard had a 74.8 and then they rank them and show that guy ranked four spots above how in the world do you know that <laughs> down to that finite of a of a detail that that guy you know filled his Scheme specific responsibilities play by play to that degree, but I, on the other hand, I always try to be very fair and tell. I love the advanced stats and the premium stats on PFF. I think they do a great job. I think Pro Football Focus has many, or uh, Pro Football Reference has many really good ones. I, I, so I kind of have this in the back of my mind almost as a business concept. I love what Mock Draftables does with the web, where they show five, six, eight different um, you know, combine workout elements, measurements, and they give that as a, a quick visual of how good the player is. I almost think we need that. That we need a, a council that would get together. So I'm I'm now high king of the universe. I would get together a group of eight to ten smart football people, and we'd all vote back and forth and identify the eight different statistics that all come into play. And it's net yards per attempt and QBR and whatever those different ones happen to be that, Hey, we all think these are a good piece of the puzzle and they all are part of it. And then if we maybe saw it as a visual, like a web that you're able to identify where overall value is and how you were able to check all the different boxes. And it wasn't just, um, I'll say an analytics darling, like a, I'll say Derek Carr. I think he comes up a lot in there that because he's really efficient and, you know, can completes the ball a lot. And I'll, I'll use former Buffalo bill quarterback, Tyra Taylor, that since there's no statistic that measures open receivers, 17 yards down the field that you refuse to throw the ball to, since that was not a statistic that's measured, you got credit for the check down that you took or the third and four scramble or, you know, the seven yard scramble on third and 11 that showed as a positive play in your statistics. Um, I wish that there was some web like that that had the mutually agreed upon six to eight different pieces that we could all go through, because I think the reason things like fantasy stats, PFF grades, is that people want there to be this one answer to go to, and I just don't think it's ever going to
2: exist. And you've correctly identified the issue, and the issue is that we do not have a statistic for opportunity cost. We do not have a statistic for what you could have otherwise done. We only have a statistic for what you did. And so that becomes problematic because then you have people like, you mentioned Derek Carr, Tyrod Taylor, you know, Trent Edwards, people who complete a lot of passes and they get credit for completing a lot of passes. But what they don't take into consideration is what you otherwise could have done. Because really, when you think about it, being playing quarterback is a math, is a math problem, probability. It's okay. I have a, a 17% chance of completing this 20 yard pass, but then I have a 60% chance of clean, completing this four yard pass. And it's, it's making those quick snap probability calculations when you pull the trigger. And obviously that starts with, with read chronology and whether or not you're on the right side of the field, when you're supposed to be there and all that stuff like that. And ultimately it comes down to film. And really that requires a level of work that I'm not entirely sure we're comfortable with. So instead, we shorthand it with something like a PFF grade or something like that, and then we further shorthand it by using things like fantasy stats. Yeah. I would make an argument that really fantasy stats, and the reason this myth exists, is because we're not even we're not even willing to put in the effort to find the holistic group of stats that you just mentioned that would be appointed by the high council. By the way, am I on this council of smart football people? Absolutely. Do I get involved in this? Y- you have I mean, okay. a seat at the table. Well, then I think it's the best idea ever. And if I wasn't on it, then it would be the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life. But, (laughs) you know, we're not even we're not even willing to do the work to come up with that. We want one quick, easy, dirty, holistic thing to throw out there as a hot take and say, well, 49.7. How you like them apples? (laughs) And I think that's how we got into wins or a quarterback stat. It is. I think that's where we came from. Well, you know, he he won the game. It's we're, we're just we're just lazy. It's really comes down to that. We're just lazy. And this myth lines up with that entirely. We're just lazy. Well, and it,
1: it really shows a lot of the combination of people's desire to understand. So I think it comes from a good place. People are well-intended. They want to be informed on what's going on. It's just not knowing enough of how to interpret that information, how to figure out. And we see it in lots of other things around us every day that we, we won't go down that path. But people reading two different things and coming away with completely different, you know, conclusions on that information. And I think in our little world of football here, I, I think it's happening more and more and that you have people who identify what they think is important. Where those things come from, how to be able to accomplish that, and then extrapolate that across larger takeaways and conclusions, and all of a sudden it becomes this, you know, belief that nope, this guy is that, and I, I hope that at some point we can come up with a more, you know, nuanced take. And I know, uh, you know, over at Cover One, you know, Eric talks a lot about looking at statistics is really valuable and it leads him to go look at the film again, because I think there are things where the human eye can be lied to. We can see something and want to believe that. And I think there is a really valuable hidden element in statistics, the whole money ball idea of, you know, don't pay attention to how ugly the submarine pitchers motion is just focus on the fact that he gets people out and that, It's that same thing. There are hidden areas that you wouldn't have assumed in football that we wouldn't have known about until we got to this more advanced stats world. But you also have to be careful not to allow that to drive you to concrete conclusions that, oh, I see it here. That must be true. It should lead you of what to go back and then validate to see that, oh, you're right. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I now see what that stat is driving
2: and that then you can reach a more wholly formed conclusion. Nothing wrong with starting with fantasy value. It just can't stop there. 100%. Okay. So, Greg, tell me what you're currently working on at the Cover One Podcast. Tell me what's coming up. What should people be listening to? No, I appreciate it. Uh, So,
1: we've been going through, and I, I made a joke at the beginning of this series that I think the Bills are going to be pretty good this year, and I think there's a growing sense of that, especially around Western New York and around Bills Mafia and the, and the families and friends of Bills Mafia. There's always been that core diehard element to it, but there's plenty of people that, you know, the whole 17-year drought kind of wore them out, and, and they probably gave it up, and many of them probably outwardly said, I'm done, I'm never coming back. And that now they they hear some quiet rumblings that maybe the season's gonna be good. They're hearing things of oh, people are picking them as potentially a division winner. That that's very interesting. And that you might wanna check back in and, and get informed on who's on the team, who makes up this group that people are getting excited about. So we're going week by week and doing a full Position breakdown. Uh, We're alternating offense and defense. I'm bringing on various uh, outside guests and have uh, Brandon Thorne came on for offensive line and Brad Kelly's coming on for wide receiver and Joe Marino joined me for defensive line and a certain someone's going to be joining me for defensive backs here in a couple weeks. And it's a fun (laughs) review to go through. You know long term where the roster st- uh, sits, you know, what our contract status is, upcoming players, the roster battles to make the team, who's a potential Brandon Bean cut down day trade candidate, who is a potential starting option, all those different things. And we're doing that week by week uh, tonight uh, or later on this Sunday. Um, Eric Turner and I are doing the running back breakdown. So, uh, having a lot of fun with that. And we're going to take those all the way up to when preseason was supposed to start. And now we'll uh, figure out when that's actually happening. But up into early August, we'll be running through that series uh, through the rest of the roster.
2: So, first off, I appreciate the fact that you dropped the word rumblings in there. I think it's really, that's you know, we're on the rumblings uh, network right now, so I think that's that's pretty fitting. Uh, surely the best guest is yet to come on obviously. that series. Very I, I, obviously. obviously. Clearly, the defensive back part is going to be the, the highlight of the entire series. So... Greg, first off, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for framing this in a way that I have a better understanding of the myth. As we're as we're done talking about this, I feel like I have a better a better idea of where to where to start when I start to feel myself being drug in that direction. For those of you listening, I, I you know tomorrow we're gonna have the final episode of this myth football myth podcast series it will be my shining holy grail it will be something where i think the transcript will be carved on bruce's tombstone long after i am gone the tombstone of course will have my real name on it so that you'll you'll never be able to find it but the important thing is that it will conclude tomorrow and i will go ahead and tell you what the almighty take is going to be for next Week So tomorrow we're going to do the almighty takes on training camp. So if you haven't already gotten me a hashtag almighty take for training camp, do that. But next week, we're going to starting a podcast series called Know Thy Enemy, and we're going to be talking a little bit about AFC East teams. And what I want you to hit me with a hashtag almighty take for next week is an almighty take about one of our AFC East foes. And that's what I want you to hit me with. So make sure you find me on Twitter. Follow me at Bruce exclusive. Hit me with a hashtag almighty take. Give me your take on one of our AFC East foes. And we will talk about that. Not tomorrow, but next Friday. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it, man. Had a blast. Uh, keep up the great work. Everybody's loving everything going on with the Bruce exclusive and the uh, Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Uh, I'm a big fan myself and uh, really excited about everything coming in the future.
2: Thank you so much, man. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the way the cookie rumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.